We are today starting a summer series which is called Sing. And um, I don't know about you, we're going we're to have some different people from Welling to come and speak, which is brilliant. So looking forward to that. But I don't know about you when you hear the word sing. Uh, some of us in this room, we, we love to sing. You're in the category where you love to sing. Um, some of you in this room, you're in the category where you don't love to sing. And uh, I think there's probably just then two categories and maybe you fall in between there somewhere. But I put myself in the uh, category of love to sing, uh, even though everyone around me might not love it when I sing. Um, thank you. Thank you. I've got, yeah, I've got some encouragement over there. But yeah. <laughs> um, see... Hannah, uh, Hannah is one of them people that doesn't always love it when I sing. Uh, she would often accuse me of loving the sound of my own voice. I know that's hard to believe, um, especially as I'm singing around the house and uh, usually something to singing Westlife or something random like that. And, um, and uh, yeah, so my earliest, earliest memory of singing was actually in uh, year six when I was on the stage. We had a year six talent show. And me and a few of my mates done what any year six student at that time in the 90s would do. Uh, was I in the 90s? Yeah, it was. We did Spice Girls. <laughs> we dressed up as the Spice Girls. I was Posh Spice. I don't know why. Probably because of the short brown hair. And I did wear a mini skirt and a boob tube. Um, and that was an eventful occasion. <laughs> Uh, also, uh, some of you might even remember this. You might have been there at the New Community Servers Party uh, not that long ago. Uh, me and some other distinguished members of New Community Church, uh, one being our leader, lead elder of New Community Church, James Silly, we were on the stage singing Westlife, a wonderful rendition of Flying Without Wings. And uh, I don't know if you can remember that. If you wasn't there, you missed a treat, I'm telling you. However, it is on YouTube. Um, or I could give you a taster now, but I don't think I will. Should I? Everybody's looking for that something. Sorry, I'll stop there. Yeah, I think that deserves an applause. Uh, I love to sing, and uh, yeah, not everyone does when I do. Uh, loves it when I do. However, some of you in this room, you don't always love to sing. And yet, the Bible, the Bible is so clear. It teaches... Uh, and it's full of singing, isn't it? It's full of singing. We've got a whole book, a whole book of the Bible dedicated to singing, the Psalms. A whole book of songs. And is the, the largest uh, in terms of number of chapters book in the Bible by far. Uh, nowhere, nowhere other the books in the Bible come close. We have 400 uh, kind of encouragements to sing in the Bible, although that refer to singing. And we have 50 direct commands to sing so even if we like it or not we can't really get away from the fact for the Christian this is part of the Christian life is to sing it's important and the philosopher Roger Scroton said God is defined in the act of worship far more precisely than he is defined by any theology theology is important but what he's saying is if you want to know what people really believe about God Watch them worship. Listen to the songs they sing. Listen to the words that they use. John Piper also talks about worship and the importance of it. And he says this, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions. 
Because God is ultimate, not man. When the age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and goal of missions. It is the goal of missions because in missions we, are, we simply aim to bring the nations into the white, hot enjoyment of God's glory. The goal of missions is the gladness of the peoples in the greatness of God. So that quote, just, just reminding us how important it is to sing and worship. It's the, the very kind of crux of our, our relationship with God. It's part of the Christian life. And so over these next kind of six weeks, we're going to kind of look at some different themes of singing. We're going to look at why we sing and the joy that comes from singing. We're going to look at how singing impacts our hearts and minds and in turn the rest of our lives. We're going to look at how we can cultivate practical ways. How can we cultivate a life of singing in our homes and with our families? We're going to look at how singing is an expression of unity. And we're going to look at how our congregational singing as we gather together is actually a radical witness to the world around us. And so we're going to cover all these different themes over these next six weeks. I'm sure it's going to be encouraging. So today, we're going to lay down a bit of the foundation of why we sing. Why do we sing? What, is the, what should be our motives for singing? To, and so we need, to start, we need to start with God. We need to start with God himself. See, the Bible teaches us that God is, in fact, a singing God. We don't just sing to God, but actually our singing needs to come from God. And we, if we look at the Bible, we see that God is a song, singing God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is a singing God. Let's just look at a few examples. So in Zephaniah, these are famous verses. You'll probably know these ones. 317. It says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. It's just a reminder. I know you probably know these verses. A reminder of the Father's delight in his children. And he delights over them with singing. In Matthew and Mark, we see that, that Jesus in the final Passover meal before his death on the cross, the night before, he's with his disciples. And what does he do? It says this in Matthew 26. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Jesus, the night before his death, took time to sing with his disciples. That should speak something to us about the importance of singing. Ephesians 5.18. I think Zach's going to be a good singer when he's older because uh, he's got some lungs on him. Uh, Ephesians 5.18 says, We are told, uh, it says, Sing and make melody in our hearts with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. In 1 Corinthians 14.15 says, Paul says, I will sing praise with my spirit, but I would also sing with my mind. What do these verses tell us? It tells us the Holy Spirit. The role of the Holy Spirit is to, to kind of cause us to have melodies in our hearts. God, Holy Spirit, comes upon us, is in us, enabling us to sing and make melody. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all singing. God is a singing God. We can also look at God's creation to find out about him. See, in Romans, it tells us that the God's creation speaks of who he is. It tells us that he speaks of who he is. God, the invisible God, is made visible through his creation. And so we can see, uh, I love this verse. It's just a tiny little verse in Job 38.4. Five words, 
the morning stars sang together. I love that. I don't know if you picture, we can't picture what that's like, but, and we can't hear it because we're not God, but the morning stars are singing together. I wonder if they've got good harmonies. I don't know, but they're singing together. Also, Psalm 98, 4 says, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp. With the harp and the sound of singing. With trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord. What's this telling us? It's telling us that creation, people, stars, rivers, mountains, all sing a joyful song to God. You know, even the mountains around us, we imagine how wonderfully vast they are, are singing a song to the Lord. See, understanding that God is a singing God is essential for us, our understanding in why we sing, in why we Singing, we need to start with a vision of God. We need to start with the reason of, of who God is will enable us to express and participate in what God himself is doing. See, God loves to sing. He loves to be able to enable his people the ability to sing. Think how you've been made with a, a mouth, I don't know the science, but a mouth that can open, that can sing, uh, vocal cords that can make noise. It's like God's created this you this way. He's given us the ability for people like Luke and Roe and, and others that can make uh, music sound good. I would be terrible up there, but they can make music sound good and it enables us to worship Jesus. It's incredible. God is a singing God and his creation also displays that he is a singing God, and we are a singing people. So we've looked at God being a singing God, but what does it look like for us, for us to be a singing people? See, we need to grasp a, a, a proper understanding of what it is to worship, of what it is to sing. We need to understand a proper practice of what it is, because, you know what, we, as you know, we live in this culture which sings a different kind of song. It sings, it's all about me. It's a consumerist culture that wants to take, 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 take. And we're in it, and we get affected by it. We get distorted by it. And so when we come to church, we can, we're kind of thinking about me. I'm thinking, I don't want my son crying his head off because it affects me. You're like, I'm thinking about me. I want to I I get, get out of this what I can get out of it. I want to I me, 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 me. And it's like, Coming back to who God is and working out what we actually, why we sing will help us to realize that it's not about me. A.W. Tozer, who's a, written lots of books and speaks quite powerfully, he doesn't hold back any punches. He says this, it is now common practice. See, we're not, we're not, uh, we're not removed from this. this. This affects the church, right? It is now common practice in most evangelical churches to offer the people a maximum of entertainment and a minimum of serious instruction. It's scarcely possible in most places to get anyone to attend a meeting where the only attraction is God. One can only conclude that God's professed children, this stuff's challenging, are bored with him and they must be wooed to meeting with a stick of candy in the form of religious movies, games and refreshments. It's quite challenging. 
It makes me think, should we uh, not be putting on picnics and ice cream before church? I don't know. I think we'll keep going for it for now. But um, Andrew Wilson also says, knowing the character of God is like putting heavy locks in the fireplace. When the fire of worship is lit, it burns hotter, brighter, and longer than the guys down the rows who use paper. But the metaphor has a flip side. There is no use in theology. There's no use in knowing the character of God if it does not turn into worship. What's it saying? We need to know who God is. We need to, we need to understand God. We need to, we need to get a vision of God in order to know what it is to really sing. And so uh, my, I guess my point is here that our singing, whether in private or whether in public, needs to start with a vision of God. It needs to start with who God is. See, when we truly know who God is, when we truly uh, get grasp his, uh, the knowledge of God, the character of God, that kind of song, that refrain that I said, that, that kind of marks out our culture, it's all about me, it will turn to, it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. All this is for you, for your glory and your fame. See, I find the Psalms so helpful in this. I, I love the Psalms because... Uh, they're full of kind of the character of God. They, they kind of cause our, our vision of God to be enlarged. I'd encourage you. I often would read them at the beginning of a worship time. I'd often read them in my private time when I'm about to try and come and, and sing and encounter God. You see, the Psalms uh, also are full of emotion. They're full of praise and worship. And they just remind us of who God is. And they remind us of how we fit into his story. We could look at a whole ton of the Psalms. We're going to look at just Psalm 145, just an example. This is one of my favorite Psalms. And uh, let's just read through it. And I'll just um, kind of give a bit of shape to what it, um, what it kind of, how it can help us when it comes to singing. See, verses 1 to 3. Hopefully it will come up as well. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. See, these opening three verses, two and a half verses, kind of remind us that this is about celebrating God. This is about, say, what does it say? I will extol you, bless your name, praise your name. Elsewhere in the psalm it says, declare your mighty acts, speak of your awesome deeds, tell of your power. It's not about me, it's about God. Tell of his power, tell of his mighty deeds see the as we read the psalms and so many of them are like it they they cause us to celebrate and sing about who god is not who i am let's just read on in this psalm see from verse three it tells his greatness is unsearchable one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works i will meditate they will speak of your might, of your awesome deeds, and I'll declare of your greatness. See, these next few verses, they speak of the greatness of God. They speak of the greatness of God. Seven, verses 7 to 10 speak of the goodness of God. Look at these. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness. Thou shalt sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The, love. the Lord is good to all and his mercy 
is over all that he has made. See, we start almost with this greatness of God, but it's just a reminder as well of the goodness of God. These next few verses, 11 to 13, they shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power. Make known the children of your mighty deeds, the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. Hey, what's this displaying? It's displaying the governance of God, that his rule and reign, his kingdom, his sovereign, he's over all things. We've gone from the the the, the, the Greatness of God, the goodness of God, the governance of God, just in a few verses. And here we go, verses 14 to 20, looks at the grace of God. The Lord upholds all who are falling. All, uh, he raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hands, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. So I love it. I love it. This psalm kind of just pictures, <clears throat> pictures something of the bigness of God. Excuse me. <clears throat> but also his nearness. Pictures something of the power of God, but also that he's personal. The the kind of the righteousness of God and yet that he draws near to his children who are not righteous. They're only righteous before because of him. Our singing, <clears throat> our singing must start with a vision of God. The next thing I want to say about singing is that our, our singing is a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. See, deep down, whether you've got a good singing voice or not, is not necessarily the important thing. See, singing is not just about or ultimately about an external behavior, although there is an external behavior. We're called to sing. There's a command, sing. That means you have to open your mouth in order to sing. So there is an external thing going on. Uh, but singing flows from a heart that desires God. Singing flows ultimately from a heart that desires God. See, when, when God sent Samuel to, to, to um, anoint David... Um, he, he kind of, first of all, there was all the other older, more impressive brothers, wasn't there? There's the older, impressive brothers, and one after the other, kind of, is it this one, God, Samuel? Is it this one, God? Is it this one, God? What does God say to Samuel? He says, do not look at his appearance or height, for I've rejected him. The Lord does not see as man does, for a man sees the outward appearance, but the Lord sees the heart. What does this tell us about singing, though? What does it tell us about are singing. Does God only want people with good voices to sing? We would say yes. <laughs> we would say, yeah, I don't want to be stood next to someone that can't sing very well. It's very, very off-putting. <laughs> we don't want people starting songs like, mercy. <laughs> that was Nemi last week. <laughs> Out of tune. No. We kind of, in us, we're like, no, no, no. Does God care? No. Why? Because it's not about the quality of our voice. It's about the, man, the quality of our heart. It's about where our heart is at. If you've got a great voice, use it. God's given it to you. Use it. Sing. Sing to the glory of God. If you've got a rubbish voice, use it. Sing. Give glory to God. He hears a wonderful song in heaven. 
I don't know how it works, but somehow it takes long enough to get up there that it sounds good by the time it does. Um, something like that, anyway. I think, I'm not sure that's quite the right theology, but... Does God require you to express yourself in a certain way? See, uh, people like me and Ify and others, we're quite demonstrative in our worship. We're quite visibly expressive. Should everyone be like that? No, because not everyone is like that. See, I would be, I'd be concerned if Ify was like sitting quiet somewhere in a corner and not doing anything. I'm like, where, the, where is Ify gone? It's like we're, we're missing. Like we know when Ify's not in the room, don't we? We know when she's not in here for worship time, right? And I think potentially it's probably the same with me. There's a visible outward expression of our worship. But God isn't after our outward expression. It's not that, it's not that I'm more impressive or Ify's more impressive because there's an outward expression. He's after our heart. And our heart causes us to want to worship that way. That's not for everybody, but there is, I believe, uh, uh, there is some kind of demonstration in our worship, because if we're literally sat, stood here like this, probably not opening our mouths, I would doubt that there's a, an expression of worship going on. See, our, our, our outward appearance often does reflect what's going on in our lives, in our hearts, and actually, but if we're a quieter person, or we're a less expressive kind of person, hey, you worship God in that way, there's no problem with that. It's about your heart. We learn also from David that (laughs) he was not perfect. He wasn't perfect, and yet he desired God. I think this is the important thing. He desired God, even when he got it wrong. He repented, and he desired God. Psalm 63 says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary beholding your power and glory because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. See, David's number one desire is to seek God, to praise him. See, our singing doesn't depend on whether we open our mouths on a Sunday it's actually about whether we give him our heart on a Monday to Saturday it's about whether we're willing to give him our hearts throughout the week and say God you are my God Donald Whitney kind of talking about this kind of connection between the, the public Sunday and the and the private midweek says how is it possible to worship God pu- publicly once each week when we do not worship him privately throughout the week can we expect the flames of our worship of God to burn brightly in public on the Lord's day when they barely flicker for him in secret on other days isn't it because we do not worship well in private that our corporate worship experience often dissatisfies us see a singing is a matter of the heart finally i'm going to finish with psalm 95 and see psalm 95 gives us a a a picture if you like uh, a kind of glimpse of of a guide to help us with our worship whether it's in private or or public actually but particularly i want to focus on our our public gatherings together here on a sunday and see Psalm 95 it can kind of be split into three quite clear sections. Uh, the three sections are this, rejoicing, reverence, and response. Rejoicing, reverence, and response. And our singing should involve all of these three areas. So, 
Psalm 95, let's just read the first five verses. It says, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into the presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth and the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his for he has made it and he has formed the dry land too. There's a rejoicing going on here, isn't there? There's a celebration, there's a, a thanksgiving. There's a focus on God. It talks about make a joyful noise. It doesn't have to be an incredibly sounding noise. It's a joyful noise. And so our, our worship, our gatherings here on a Sunday should always include some kind of rejoicing in God. And it's not about making lots of noise. It's not about some up kind of tempo beat, although it helps us because it's a music that helps us to kind of worship and sing. It, it, it's, a, it, it's kind of um, mostly about understanding what God has done in our lives and responding to it. See, we've got so much to give thanks for if we truly remind ourselves of what God's done for us. And so we sing, we celebrate, we rejoice. I just want to, yeah, just as a note, as a side of that, it's, it's not about some kind of forced cheerfulness because it can sometimes feel like that. You come in on a Sunday, you're tired, blah, 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 blah. It's not about a forced cheerfulness or a kind of emotional manipulation, you know, when the, the kind of the host or the anchor gets up and kind of rallies us. And, uh, and what are they doing? It's not about hyping it up. It's about declaring truth because we need to hear truth because <laughs> it's truth that sets us free. It's truth that reminds us of why we're rejoicing in the first place. And so it's important that we remind ourselves of truth. And that's why we sing songs with truth. If you see songs that are a bit iffy or dodgy, then come and speak to us because we shouldn't really be singing them. We need to remind ourselves that truth is truth that helps us to worship. Part two, reverence, quickly, of going over. Reverence is about awe and surrender. Let's watch it, the 95, uh, Psalm 95. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. We are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his land. See, worship should also include moments of awe, <laughs> moments of surrender, moments, intimate moments, not just kind of noisy Thanksgiving moments, intimate moments. And to be honest with you, you can only have them moments unless you know your God. <laughs> you can only have them moments unless you're fully participating in who God is and what he's done for your life. And so I'll encourage us, do, do we have these moments in our private times, in our public times of worship on Sundays? Do we, do we come face to face with the reality of who God is? Do we, does that happen? If not, we need to be praying for these moments that God would come and cause us to bow before him in surrender. Final part, part three, response. Uh, verse seven. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. How's that, Meribah? What's this saying? Just a short little verse. I'll stop there. He's saying part of worship, part of singing, part of our celebrating and gathering on a Sunday is about response. It's about hearing God's voice and responding to it. And this word, uh, hear, hear God's voice, 
is also talking about obeying God's, God's voice. See, that's why I think he says, do not harden your hearts. Because we can hear God's voice and then we can go, nah. Or we can hear God's voice and then actually because our hearts are a bit stony, we don't really allow it to come and make a difference. We don't allow it to come and go deep. Do not harden your hearts. So when we hear and receive God's voice, when he speaks to you individually, when he speaks to us corporately, we have a choice to make to whether we respond to it or not. I'd encourage us, let's be a people who respond. Let's be a people who respond to what he's talking to us. And just as a, a quick note, in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, it tells us, when you come together, when we gather like this, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. I know you've heard this before, but I'm going to remind us, each one, each one, each one, not just the worship leader, not the elder, not the venue leader, not just Nemi or Hannah or Yemi, each one. Each one. And this isn't about manipulating. This is about doing what God's called us to. It's doing what God's called us to, which is to sing and to declare truth and to encourage and build up the body and edify one another. I'm telling you, when I first started kind of praying out or singing out, like it, it helped me to grow in God. As I began to kind of start with a vision of God, read the Psalms, as I started to kind of remind myself of who he is, knowing the truth of God, knowing who he is in my life. It kind of, and it doesn't have to be some wonderfully articulate prayer or word of knowledge. You might see a slight glimpse, a picture, a thought. I'd love this to be a place where anyone and everyone can come and just share something or pray something or encourage and provoke one another. If you say something slightly dodgy, we'll correct it. It's fine. It doesn't really matter. I'd encourage us to be a people where each one of us come and plays our part. Can the, the worship band come up? Because we're going to come and worship in a few moments. We can have an opportunity to do this, to rejoice, to have reverence before God, to respond, to hear his voice and respond. I believe God's going to come and we're going to have a good time. We're going to come and worship. We're going to come and rejoice and sing and celebrate. I believe we're going to come and have moments of, wow, God's. Wow, God, this is who you are. I think we're going to have moments of people in this room. You're going to hear God's voice and you're going to come and share. Can we stand? Can we stand? We're going to come and sing. We're going to come and declare praises. We're going to celebrate. I know it's warm. Get some space. Honestly, if you don't have to stay at your chair, you can move around. It doesn't really matter. You can make some room. I know I've seen Simon dance before, so I know he can. It's going to move in a minute, I can tell. We're going to come and celebrate. And then, you know, we're going to have moments of, of actually seeing if God wants to come and speak to us. I'm just going to read that, that, that first Psalm 93 again. Just the first few verses. The Lord, uh, sorry, 95. Oh, come. Oh, come. Let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise for the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. 